And I think people don't realize when you're buying a business, the successor liability rules that transfer to you, you think it's done and clear, but it, it doesn't necessarily disappear. And it doesn't even matter if you have it written in a legal document, the states will still follow up and try to assess that liability to you if you're the new owner. From Rain Associates Studio, this is Unsuitable, management and financial services podcast for entrepreneurs, tenured business leaders, and others who are ready to look beyond the suit and tie culture for meaningful, measurable results. I'm Doug Hauser. On this weekly podcast, thought leaders and business professionals break down complicated and mundane topics and give you the tips and insight you actually need to grow as a leader while helping your organization to grow and thrive. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss future episodes. And if you want access to even more information, show notes, and exclusive content, visit our website at www.raycpa.com podcast and sign up for updates. Remote work has become the new normal. And as a business owner, you can't help but wonder how this will affect your business during tax seasons to come. Kathy LaMonica, Principal in Ray's SALT team, is here to discuss the layers of remote work and what landmines you need to be aware of, registering for payroll taxes in new states, and more. Welcome to Unsuitable, Kathy. Uh, Nice to be here. Thank you. Yeah, great to have you. And, um, you know, I I don't know that this topic has been at the forefront of a lot of people's minds you know, is at the, at the start of COVID uh, and, and everything, but certainly people are paying more attention now because there's, you know, so much has changed with obviously the work environment and then how that's dealt with, uh, with regard to taxing authorities. So can you give us just maybe a, a to start off a high level overview of, of where maybe some of the issues are and, and what we should be aware of? Sure thing. I mean, I think, um, like you said, I don't think that this is unanticipated changes in, in the workforce. And I think, you know, we've always had in the past, you know, people might have a remote employee or dealing with that kind of payroll registration. I would say since COVID and, and most specifically in the last few months, I have gotten requests for payroll registrations over and over again from our clients. Like, how, how are we going to go about this? And I think it's brought to light all the issues that come with that, that people don't really consider. And, you know, we've, from a SALT perspective, we haven't slowed down at all through this whole COVID. And I think it's just exploded with the issues that we've had to encounter and, yeah. and what it triggers for Nexus. Yeah. And and so for those that aren't aware, SALT, we're, we're referencing state and local. Oh, sorry. That's, that's the, that's the, uh, I always forget people don't know. <laughs> uh, that's the all-knowing moniker that we yep. use for, for certainly for Kathy. Uh, she's a tremendous resource and the one we go to in our firm for that. But, you know, at, at first when I know in the state of Ohio, at least, right. When everybody was sort of, you know, sent home initially uh, last March, Mm-hmm. The state made a, a choice to uh, keep everybody's "quote unquote" home office in the same place that it was, right? Exactly. Exactly. Were. But now there are, are there there's some lawsuits, if I understand, in terms of how we might deal with that going forward. Can you update? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Ohio is a particularly difficult 
state anyway to deal with payroll issues and withholding because of the local municipality. And, you know, they did take a position and said, keep it at the, the, the working city. And as progressed, there have been different lawsuits that have come up. There's been a couple of bills initiated to try to resolve some of those issues. And basically it comes down to, did your employee move because of COVID? Did your, your employee permanently moving? And that's going to make some differences. And, you know, what they referenced with the, with the first action that they took was through the emergency um, declaration period. So that ends, then there's a time up, and then you still have to reconsider, like, what is the employee going to stay there? Are they going to move back? How do you change it? Do your systems, can you, can you handle them? But even subsequently, like, it, or outside of Ohio, when you have the same payroll issues with multi-states, um, some of those states gave some nexus waivers. They're not, you know, it, it, for COVID purposes, but not all of them. I think I counted like 18 gave like nexus waivers due to COVID, but the rest wow. of them didn't. So you have that complexity too. Yeah, so much complexity there. And, um, you know, if you think about it, you think through not just from the employer or employee perspective, but those states and municipalities, right? I mean, particularly large cities, I would think that could just have a tremendous impact in terms of a reduction in their tax base if if it were taxed elsewhere, right? Exactly. Cleveland, you know, I'm up in the Cleveland area, Columbus. I know they both are are struggling with that kind of concept because they they would lose tremendous amounts of money if they had to shift their workforce or withholding to different localities. Yeah. And as you mentioned, you know, multi-state too, for folks that you know, you may have people that are either that remote or, or you know, we're used to traveling and, and mm-hmm. all those kinds of things. You know, it, it's so, so much more complex. So, you know, let, let's go back a little bit to, you know, widely discussed a few years back, the Wayfair case and what that did in terms of, you know, business impact and obviously, having nexus for a business in a number of states. What what are some things to look out for there? Sure. And I and I'll say because Wayfair is a couple of years, well, we're coming up on three years now that it's come out, it's kind of like a cataclysmic experience because the states were giving businesses some time to comply. Now you have COVID, now you have remote where it's bringing back the physical presence aspects of Nexus to the business that were there anyway, but people, you know, could take a different position. But now if you have the economic nexus, you now maybe have a remote employee. There's no getting out of the fact that you have nexus. brings the complexities of income tax, franchise, sales tax, whatever um, other things that could apply. And I think because states have had time since Wayfair to kind of get up and running, we're already seeing an uptick in audits. I had a client who's a small manufacturer in Ohio, got a letter from California. His sales don't come anywhere close to the economic nexus, but the fact that he's even on their radar to, for them to ask the question is remarkable. So it just shows how aggressive states get and how they go about finding those potential customer or potential customers, potential taxpayers. Yeah. I mean, it is amazing. I know we see that even at, you know, the municipal level, uh, dealing with a lot of construction clients that, you know, all of a sudden they've got a vehicle or a piece of equipment with their name on it that shows up, you know, uh, on a job site, just maybe even for a short period of time. And mm-hmm. certainly something they, they need to be conscious about in terms of those registrations. 
Yeah. And I, and I, you know, I've seen Wayfair and I know that states are making, um, you know, they're starting to make some revenues that they hadn't have before and they're getting taxpayers who comply, but they don't seem to be backing off. They're still getting aggressive because they know they can. So it's challenging. And now you're, you're dealing with clients who maybe have these other physical presence with payroll getting out of it. But when you have to answer the question on the registration, when did you hit Nexus or when did you, you know, have your first taxable sale, so to speak, you know, harder to say, oh, today (laughs) you have to go back and look. And that has other implications. Did you have exposure in the past? Did you have, you know, open the whole can of worms for some companies and, and what they have to do? Yeah. And, and speaking of that, I think one of the great things that that you do is is really go through kind of that, you know, that that risk exposure and cost benefit analysis. So talk a little bit about how you sort of, uh, you know, deal with that on the, on the front end. It's not always like, oh my gosh, you got this huge expense, yeah. you got to pay all this tax. Talk about that process that you go through yeah. and evaluate with clients. Yeah. So generally when we have a client, they've usually heard about Wayfair or they know a little bit about economic nexus and they want to know how it affects them. And, and so we do a whole diagnostic process of where do they actually have nexus? We look at all aspects of business activities, subcontractors, independent reps, whatever there might be physically. And then the economic, the thresholds, the $100,000 of sales, the transactions. We take that, we figure out where they have nexus, and then we calculate a risk assessment. So if their nexus started a couple of years ago, what are their tax implications from sales tax, from income tax? Do they have exemption certificates for their exempt sales? We look at that and give them a sort of an action plan of where the priority states are, where the needs are, and we can move forward and help them get compliant and go forward. So it gives us a a more well-rounded view of where they might have issues. And I think one of the good things, you know, I know there's softwares out there that will tell them if they've hit a target or whatever, but we look at everything. We look at everything they possibly could do that could trigger so that they're not getting just a one thing. Oh, our sales aren't that high, but yeah, you've had reps in the state for 10 years. So you have to look at all. So we, we do all inclusive. I think that, yeah, that's tremendous. Um, and then that way you give a, a client the ability to evaluate, you know, at the end of the day, here, here's what we think, here's our assessment of your risk exposure. And so let's come up with a plan together to, to address that. So I know uh, in addition, as a follow-up to that, then a lot of what you do is consult with folks on getting the proper, you know, process and procedures in place then to be, be uh, in compliance going forward. Right. Yeah. And I work on, it's me specifically working technology a lot and implementing sales tax softwares for them. And a lot of times, um, you know, my clients are manufacturers and they think, oh, I don't have taxable sales. Well, it's not necessarily the sales tax calculation. It's the managing the 10,000 exemption certificates that you need to protect yourself. And, and sometimes, you know, this, it's a simple process fix. Sometimes it's a much more complicated process, depending on if they're selling through e-commerce they're selling through reps, you know, so we can look at the whole process and figure out what works best for them. But I think that most customers, what most of our clients, they just need to know where, where the the holes are, where they need to be fixed. And then we can walk them through the next thing. You know, if you tell somebody they have Nexus in 46 states, they want to register in 46 states right away. So we give them a phased approach, just do it reasonably 
these other things in place so that you don't that you're able to calculate the tax or able to track the, the certificates and and have that knowledge and forward. Yeah, and and to that to that point, you know, having that plan and and putting in place those processes. Do you find that that helps with the auditors when they you know when they maybe uh, inquire about hey what are you doing? Do you have these things to to kind of show that you're making some attempt there? Yes, I will say yes, but I did have a situation. I spoke with a, a prospect actually in New York City uh, not too long ago, and they're a billion-dollar company. So they had been spending the last couple of years trying to put in sales tax software because they knew they had massive sales tax compliance responsibilities. And they got a letter from California again before they were ready to go live or right around the time they started filing even though it took them two years to get the systems in place, California was still expecting their sales tax compliant because what they sell 100% taxable. They had a $5 million assessment from California alone. If every one of the states went back, you know, it could put them out of business. And they said they went through the law channels. They went through every kind of way to approach it to try to get California to sort of let go of the tax liability and California wouldn't budge. They would waive penalties and interest potentially. The liability is the liability. And, and you would think you'd give someone that much time to get, but California didn't see it that way. So it's, it can be, it can be tough. So you want to get, but I mean, I think when I look at, I, I don't know that that's an anomaly, but you definitely want to get ahead of it because you don't want to be dealing with that. So you mentioned obviously California being aggressive. Are there other states that either A are you see being fairly aggressive or or B that are maybe overly complex in, in terms of trying to understand uh the those issues? Generally the the states that are are triggers are California, Illinois, New York, Pennsylvania can be difficult. It really depends. Um, you know, I, I don't even know if there's rhyme or reason. Pennsylvania is not that complicated as far as calculating tax. It's pretty straightforward. Whereas like New York and California both have, you know, multiple hundreds of thousands of um, tax rates. So it can be really complicated. Illinois just literally changed their rule. Like it used to be if you were a remote seller selling into Illinois, you had the one state tax rate to charge. Now, they want you to collect on all the destinations. So the, it just complicated their, their calculation. For us, we were uploading hundreds of locations just to file a return. One of our clients' return is like 400 pages for Illinois now. It should be a two-page document. But so they went worse and made it even more complicated to do business. And you wonder why, but I think it's because all their localities want a piece of the, the pie. And that's the only way that they can do it. Yeah, we we just uh, we keep talking about making things simpler, and it seems at every turn we go the other way. Oh, I know. And every day, or every client, you know, when is the federal tax, you know, or when is the federal government going to just put one state sales tax or one flat sales tax rate? And I don't think it's ever going to happen. But yeah, at least not in our job. Career. But it would make right. it a lot easier for everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Well, on, on the uh, Ohio front, do you see, is there anything uh, in the legislature or anything that's coming down the pike that, that perhaps we should uh, pay specific attention to? Like the municipality or? Yeah, any any of that. 
You know, I know there's a couple bills regarding the mis- and I'll apologize because I'm not in- incredibly knowledgeable on that, but I know there's two bills that are trying to uh, sort of sort out how that would work from payroll people from mm-hmm. next. But as far as Ohio, just general tax rules for sales tax or changes, not so much. I'm seeing a big tick in other states starting to tax services more than they ever have in the past which is unusual because usually that was kind of like the protected thing if it's a professional services. And, and they're not really targeting professional as much, but like software as a service or mm. digital products where like it used to be if you bought a movie, you'd pay the sales tax on it. If you bought a DVD, you'd pay the sales tax. But if it was electronically transferred, you didn't have that um, sales tax on it because it was not tangible. Now they're saying if you're streaming, which obviously during COVID, everybody started watching Netflix a lot more. They want to make sure that. that. So streaming services, digital product products, software as a service, meaning basically like an application that you're logging into LinkedIn is a software as a service where it's an informational thing, but you're logging in on a cloud-based. States are coming up with rules to tax that more. And in Ohio, they've always been pretty aggressive on the computer side of things, on kind of things. So, you know, they're I think they're just furthering that along. But it, it's yeah. interesting to see the states do that. And and now in Ohio, of course, we've had the cat tax here for for uh, some period of time now. Kind of you know replace that old franchise tax kind of mm-hmm. type of thing. If yep, go back and, and date myself there. Do we see? Any movement uh, nationwide to kind of simplify and go to that type of a, a system? There are a couple states that are doing that or have done that. Oregon, um, I know, passed a similar gross receipts kind of tax that, and Nevada has had one. Some of the thresholds are really high for so unless you're physically located there, your sales are significantly like. I think Nevada is four million. I mean, it's a it's a pretty high threshold. Although I just read something today about Oregon, like if you have an employee there over $50,000 of payroll in that state, you will effectively hit that. And I hadn't read that before. So that was new. I was thinking, you know, it may not apply. So there are things like that. I think when you're when you're registering for payroll tax, you have to consider the sales tax, income tax, and then franchise taxes, like, um, you know, Texas franchise. If you're just you don't even have to apply for it. You can apply for a sales tax permit. And a month later, you're going to get a letter from Texas saying, hey, by the way, you have franchise tax too. And I think uh, there are other states that are very similar. Like you might not have high sales there, but because you're just considered doing business and those are going to hit as well. Yeah, I think there's just you know, the the more I I learn, the more I become convinced, the less I know when it comes to <laughs> stuff, because, you know, it's just so different from state to state. And, and you know, I just caution our, our listeners to be wary what you read. I mean, you read some of these things where, you know, this state is, you know, there's no income tax, for example, or but they get you in other ways, right? Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's not, you know, just don't assume that your cost of doing business there is, is zero or, or very cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's five states that don't have a sales tax, but I think all of them have an income tax or some sort of component or property taxes that, you know, get you in a different way. And the one thing I wanted to mention is on, on the Wayfair too, like Florida and Missouri were the outliers who still don't have rules based on the economic nexus thresholds. 
So both of them have bills, I think, that are progressing finally. So I, I expect mid-year, they're going to probably have their rules in place too. And those will be the last two. Good to know. I think yep. you know, the lesson for me and all this, what I've learned is dealing with, you know, Kathy and, and our SALT group, get them involved up front, either if you uh, want a risk assessment because of your current business practices, or if you're considering expanding uh, as well and, and looking at, you know, what what the, the costs are to you know, make sure that you're you're compliant. One last thing, Kathy, I know, and, and we've been involved with a lot of M&A deals, and this comes up in uh, transfer of a business, right? The purchaser wants to know, hey, what's what's my potential exposure here that, that the company uh, may not have been dealing with at all? So you do yeah. care about that too, right? Yeah, and we, we generally have been on the side where the, the company who wants to sell and their purchasers looking at what we have done or vice versa. But yeah, due diligence for that is extremely important. You know, we had someone who was selling and they had Nexus in everywhere. They hadn't been collecting exemption certificates. We came up with a, you know, a pretty significant liability for both sales tax and income tax. And the buyer was going to withhold couple billion dollars of, you know, it, to, to make sure it was covered if, if things came to light. And we actually went through and did some voluntary disclosures and helped them clean up the system. And, it, and the buyer actually reduced the amount that they were withholding for that exposure. So it really did help them. And I think people don't realize when you're buying a business, the su- successor liability rules that transfer to you, you think it's done and clear, but it, it doesn't, necessarily disappear. And it doesn't even matter if you have it written in a legal document, the states will still follow up and try to assess that liability to you if you're the new owner. Yeah, that's, that's great stuff. I mean, just so much to know and, and to be aware of the, the, the idea here is, you know, get, get the experts involved, make sure you, you understand what your potential risk might be and then develop a plan to, to deal with that over time. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't have to be certainly a fire drill or, or any kind of panic thing, but you know, the, the key is understand your risk and, and have a plan. So. Yep. Absolutely. Well, that's great stuff, Kathy. And yep. thank you so much for, for being on. It's, it's just mm-hmm. super, super insightful and I look forward to having you on again soon. Awesome. Thank you, Doug. Yes. And if you want more business tips and insight or to hear previous episodes of unsuitable, please visit our podcast page at www.raycpa.com slash podcast. And while you're there, sign up for exclusive content and show notes. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Be sure to subscribe to Unsuitable on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to us right now, including YouTube. I'm Doug Hauser. Join us next week for another Unsuitable interview from an industry professional. The views expressed on Unsuitable on Ray Radio are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Ray and Associates. The podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to replace the professional advice you would receive elsewhere. Consult with a trusted advisor about your unique situation so they can expertly guide you to the best solution for your specific circumstance.